another episode of Top 5 with Max and Max. We're your hosts, I'm Max. I'm Max. And today we have an incredibly special interview with none other than the man, the myth, the mooch, Anthony Scaramucci. The mooch, Anthony Scaramucci, was Trump's communication director for 11 days back in 2017. He said some fiery things that got a couple people fired, including himself from the White House. Uh, But apart from that, he's the founder of Skybridge Capital, a major hedge fund in New York. And he's just an extremely exciting person to talk to. We were thrilled to have him on the show. So you've probably heard a lot of electric interviews with the Mooch before. I can tell you that this one today is going to be right up near the top. He talked about the high school Mooch. He talked about the five keys to success. That was the main topic of today's conversation. And so much more, including a very special outro where he tells Max some personal advice that we put into practice in the outro. So stay tuned. We've got a terrific show coming up, and the ending will blow your mind. So without further ado, here is the man, the myth, Anthony Scaramucci. Anthony, thank you so much for coming on to the show today. It's a pleasure to be here. How are you guys doing? All right. We're doing great. Thrilled to be here. Any day you you can talk to the Mooch is a good day in my book. Yeah, you think so? I mean, how come I only (laughs) lasted 11 days in the Trump administration? (laughs) 11 best days of the administration, as far as we're concerned. Yeah. Uh, I I feel that way too, by the way. There's so much we want to talk to you about, but, you know, just to kick it off, how are you feeling about the election? Well, you look, it'll be a close election because we're we're very polarized. Should it be a close election? No. I mean, you've got Fox News and conservative punditry, talk radio and some of these other conservative news outlets that are spinning lies for President Trump. But, uh, you know, in any other normalized environment with objective news feeds where we weren't arguing about the facts, you'd look at this guy and say he's a complete imbecile. He's mishandled the executive branch. He cannot manage anything. Uh, he's stirring up uh, dissent and unrest and inciting violence. Uh, he's made the country weaker. He's made it sicker and he's made made it poorer. And so if you just looked at the list of stuff, uh, you've got uh, 300,000 people will be dead by December. You've got uh, 31 million people lost their jobs. You've got 10% unemployment, the worst recession since the Great Depression. So why is he at 40-ish percent? And the answer is because you have this media narrative in the country that we have a great culture war going on, and he is a fascist slash demagogue, and he's trying to tell you he alone can fix it. And he he's the last white man standing between you and the black or brown latte drinking transvestites that are going to come over the transom and take over your government and your culture. OK, that's what he's telling people. OK, and it's a bunch of nonsense. And so, yeah, you know, but people, what I'm you know, pissed off about, let me just finish. I'm pissed yeah. off about the left is they've allowed the radical left to hijack them and the left is just too politically correct and they're always sensitive to all the stupid microaggressions uh, and they should just tell the radical side of their equation to shut the fuck, excuse me, you're not allowed to curse on this player. Right? So you, <laughs> you can say that. You know, they should just tell them to shut up. We gotta knock this guy out if you wanna have a democracy. Cause right. he's gonna subvert and disorganize our democracy and by the way, there are corporate interests in the United States, whether you like it or not, that don't care about democracy. They care about profits. So they're, they're sort of like, okay, big deal. If Trump's good for my profits, I'm for Trump. 
But what about the institutions of your democracy, the diffusions of power, the checks and balances in the system that has enabled all of us to be free and actualize our lives? You know, you, you, talk- you lose your freedom in an autocracy. Yeah. And you talked there about how the radical left wing of the Democrat Party has has gotten a little too much of the spotlight lately. And you see that in some of our cities where there have been these protests that in some cases have turned into riots. Now, despite Trump's uh, pretty objectively bad resume with COVID handling, a lot of Americans, especially those up for grab voter groups like suburban women and Latinos, they see these riots and they're like, now hold a second, which side is representing law and order here? Because Trump's at least condemning it. Even if he stoked the fires, he's condemning it. And it's a little less vocal from the Biden camp. So are you worried at all that these protests and what's going on in cities across the country is going to help? No, listen, I mean, you know, you have to understand, like, these are staged and organized protests. You know, this is likely uh, Russian interference, a form of Russian interference. That's the gaslighting that Trump is doing. So, So, you know, look, there are obviously, in my opinion operatives that are creating this violence. Mm -hmm. And what I'm upset about with the left and Joe, the the Joe Biden campaign is that they're not addressing it head on. Yeah. Yeah. Address it head on. They have to denounce the violence and they have to, uh, they have to switch the narrative and they have to explain to the American people, you're weaker, you're sicker and you're poorer. You're not better off than you were uh, four years ago. And Oh, by the way, this isn't a battle of ideas. This is a system debate. This is systemic. This guy wants to take away your constitutional democracy. He's also got a bunch of willing acolytes, formerly known as Republicans, now known as Republicans, that are allowing him to do that. And I am the last man standing between you and a system breach. And he's got to make that narration. And, And if he doesn't do that, it's going to be way he's going to win anyway because you know Trump sucks and so he he will win anyway most people close the curtain you know if Trump can somehow rig the election he's having a hard time trying to figure out how to rig it because the the way the tabulations are it's very diffuse it's not like an autocrat could come in there and rig the election like you could do in these third world countries or these autocracies so he's you know he's going to take away the voting I'm sorry, the mailing machines in certain states, which he's done. And now he stopped doing that, but he he did enough damage where he thinks that's going to help him on the margin. But he's having a hard time figuring out how to rig the election. He's going to try. The reason why he doesn't want the mail-in voting, it's very hard to rig mail-in voting. You know, you you can screw with machines. You can get the Russians to come in and hack things. But it's very hard to rig mail-in voting. So that's where the guy is. He's a goon, guys. You know, I'm. I feel terrible that I supported him. Uh, I'm a lifelong Republican. Uh, I was with Jeb Bush, who was a moderate, very good guy. I switched over to Donald Trump. I got intoxicated by the euphoria of the campaign. That's my fault. I have to own that. Just be careful, because yeah. when you're around power, power is very seductive, and power is very intoxicating, and you can. Do, your ego can allow you to do really stupid things, regrettable things. But, uh, you know, for me, you know, I, I didn't want to disavow my personal integrity and my life story to continue to support this goon. And he's got to go. And so we're going to work on it. And by the way, he will go not because the Biden camp is going to run this exemplary campaign. 
but he will go because I do believe in the spirit of America and the values of America. And at the end of the day, American people are like decent and kind people. They don't, I don't think they want to be re represented by this man any longer uh, on the world stage or in the court of public opinion. Now on the COVID point though, I mean, you're a New Yorker and you know, obviously Cuomo's record there has been so subpar. I think a lot of people who are listening who, whether they, you know, support Trump or just a bit less in opposition to him would say, it's not Trump's fault that New York and New Jersey and these places got absolutely crushed. Look at all these other states that handled it so much better. And therefore it's Cuomo's fault and the other, you know, governors up there. Um, I mean, don't you think a lot like Cuomo in particular really handled this poorly and he bears more of the responsibility here even than Trump? So, you know, listen, I mean, he made a mistake with the nursing homes and we can rationalize it, not rationalize it. He obviously made a mistake. I obviously didn't do it intentionally. Um, I think in the beginning part, him and de Blasio uh, were probably not ready for the magnitude of the cases that were hitting New York. But once he realized the problem, New Yorkers feel rightly or wrongly that he did an okay job of managing the problem. Once he got it, he was, popular in his press conferences. People were panicked in the months of March, April, and May. And he sort of was a sound, sober voice. And he was at least executing a strategy that was based on the epidemiology. So um, you could look at the record and look at the deaths and say, okay, it was mishandled. Or you can look at where we are right now in New York. We look a lot like Western Europe, where the case counts are very, very low. And you're under, you're under. Uh, I think you're at you're at 0.94 percent uh, today, which is below the one percent number that we're looking for to sort of kill a pandemic. Um, so, so I'm trying to be balanced with him. Uh, there's no question in the fog of war, people are going to make mistakes. And let's give President Trump. Let's be objective. I don't like demonizing President Trump. I think he's a goon, but I don't think he's a. Demon. So I just want to like qualify. Right. I'm not going to sit here. And just say bad shit about President Trump. Let's let's look yeah. at it objectively. The the first case is January twenty first. You're in the middle of an impeachment. People are coming to you and saying you got to shut down the U.S. economy to save American lives. And you know your whole electoral narrative is about the success of the U.S. economy. So one, you're going to be reluctant to do that. Two, we don't have the culture for that. It's not like we're South Korea or Singapore or parts of Asia that have experienced MERS and SARS and other zootropic viruses that have transferred to human beings. So, you know, I get why January 21st, he didn't go into the full South Korean protocol. Totally understand that. Uh, could he have by mid-February been more decisive and executed a better plan. I think he could have. Tom Bossert, who worked with me in the White House, is a very close personal friend of mine, went to see him, begged him and Jared to pay attention to this. You'd have a million people dead if you don't pay attention to it. Um, and so he didn't. He kept saying it was 15 going to zero. The warm weather is going to take it out. Don't worry about it. And these guys are trying to say no. And then Bossert, you can go to the Washington Post, B-O-S-S-E-R-T. He wrote a op-ed. I basically said, okay, listen, you're going to have a million people die. Wake up. And then the White House got mad at him. And it wasn't until the weekend of March 14th and 15th where billionaires uh, descended upon Trump, either visited him in the White House or called him 
and said, you got a full-on disaster on your hands. You're going to wipe out the U.S. economy, and you're going to have 3 million people dead if you don't do something. And so he reversed course on March 16th. If he had, if he had executed the March 16th strategy in mid-February, you wouldn't have the death count or the case count that we have. The second thing that he did is, for some reason, he decided to politicize the science around the pandemic and the epidemiology of the pandemic. I don't know why he would do that, uh, but he decided that that was what he was going to do. And and this is classic Trump, where uh, he's so maniacally insecure that he cannot listen to experts. Okay, uh, one of the cabinet officials I'm close to. I'm sorry. He is the expert. That's why he is the sole expert because that's where the insecurity comes from. You know, if you're a smart guy running a team, you have your team helping you and you and you you don't think you're the smartest guy in the room. The person that says they're the dumbest person in the room, hold on to your wallet. That's likely the smartest person. And the person that says that the smartest guy in the room is obviously a jackass. Okay, I mean, it's just a pragmatic fact. And so. This guy's so insecure that he couldn't listen to Anthony Fauci or Dr. Birch or CDC. And so he started subverting them. And it's the same thing he does with the generals. The generals tell him ABC. He'll say, OK, well, let's do X, Y, Z. He wants to prove them wrong and prove that he's superior to them. This is full on narcissism. So, uh, you know, look, I mean, he's a complete jackass. I mean, at the end of the day. We hired a jackass to do a job that requires somebody that has like intellectual gravity and thought and someone that's going to come prepared to a meeting, but also somebody that recognizes the gravity of these decisions and won't make them in a reckless manner. So he killed Herman Cain. I mean, killed him, flattened the guy. Uh, And he's got a group of people that are going to run around wearing no masks. He's got Jared Kushner and Bob O'Brien, who's already had covid on the first commercial flight from Tel Aviv, okay? I don't know what the guy's doing. I don't know what they're doing or how they're doing it. All right, so you paint this portrait of Trump, and it's not exactly the Mona Lisa, but let's talk about the other other guy in the race here, Biden. And a lot of people talk about what appears to be significant cognitive decline. Do you think Biden's lost his fastball? Okay, you see this Starbucks cup? Can you see it? Is it? Is it in a shot? I would vote for the Starbucks couple. (laughs) The iPad case. Let me see. The iPad case. See the AirPod case? Okay. I would vote for an inanimate object. (laughs) (laughs) At least the inanimate object is going to not make stupid decisions. You know what I mean? I mean, the guy is a complete jackass. Okay. Joe Biden, uh, whatever his strengths or weaknesses are, he's not looking to annihilate your democracy. Okay. What you guys maybe don't understand, because I'm closer to it, is the high-level criminality. When Michael Cohen's book comes out next week, and you read the book, and the book is foundationally grounded in documentary evidence, and you're reading about the high levels of criminality of Mr. Trump, you're like, okay, we have the wrong guy in the job. So even if it's the AirPod case (laughs) or Joe Biden, what difference does it make? You're you're making a choice about your patriotism and you're making the choice about your system of the democracy. See, what's happening is Trump wants you to make the choice about, quote unquote, ideology. 
But if you guys are, I don't know what you guys are, Republicans, Democrats, Trumpists, I don't know what you guys are. But let me just tell you this. Okay. What's that? We're Mooch fans. That's well, what we I, I appreciate that. I need some fans because, you know, you <laughs> look at my Twitter notifications. You got all the Russian bots coming there, you know. I, I like look under my, I look under, when I go to CVS now, I look under the car to make sure there's not a bomb and shit. You know? <laughs> it's fine because you're living in Trump's universe now with all this violence and this unnecessary nonsense. But, but well, my, that's my point. I don't care if Joe Biden has lost a step. I don't care if you're going to get, you know, less out of Joe Biden today at 78 than you would have at 63. I actually don't care. Okay. What I care about is a restoration of our system and the principles of our democracy. And I also care about the defeat, defeating a demagogue, because once you defeat the demagogue, you'll dematerialize the personality cult around him and then the Republican Party can have a reckoning and hopefully a reconciliation of what its core principles are. Uh, right now, there's no core principles. You don't even have a platform. Uh, we have no platform. Whatever Mr. Trump wants, we're going to do. Come on, guys. We, we don't do that in America. That is classically un-American. Americans work together. Americans have a spirit of teamwork to solve problems. Mr. Trump is un-American. When is the bully won the situation. Mr. Trump has false patriotism. He's turned it into right-wing, white, nationalistic violence in the guise of patriotism. I mean, when, 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 when do we become that? You guys ran in similar circles in New York City for a long time, I'm guessing, um, before you went to the White House. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, what, what was he like before? What was he like before and how did how did I don't want to demonize the guy? He was a way more normal. Look, he was always a nutcase, but he was a fun nutcase. You know, I mean, I'm a little nuts. I, I like that. People. So I'm, I'm hanging out with him at the Yankee game and the Yankee playoff game. He's with Regis Philbin. May his soul rest in peace. A terrific guy. I'm with my uh, date, who's now my wife, and we're BSing with each other. It's a lot of fun. You know, he's a rock contour. He's an entertainer. Uh, he's certainly somebody you'd want on an unplugged interview because he's going to say what says, you know. But <laughs> you don't want him as the president because he doesn't have the intellectual gravity, okay? When you talk to him about the Sykes-Picos Treaty, his eyes glaze over. When you explain to him what the general agreement of trade and tariffs was yeah. at the end of the Second World War and how it morphed into, into the WTO, his eyes glaze over. If you're the American president, you need to understand why we're still fighting the First World War. You, you, you have to understand what happened when the Ottoman Empire retreated and the French and the British moved out of the Middle East and why you have a disaster zone there. You can't, you can't be the American president and have total intellectual vacuity. We, you, you're that intellectually vacuous. You don't know what the hell's going on. In, 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 that region has got 40% of the known oil reserves. Until you switch over from a non-carbon-based energy supply, you gotta have an understanding of what the hell's going on in that region. Even if we become energy independent, you still need to protect yourself because of the geopolitics around that, you know? So I have a question for you before we pivot to the uh, five keys to success according to Mooch, is a more of a personal question. So, you know, you, for all those listening who don't know, you, you went to Harvard Law School. You did incredibly well in finance, first at Goldman Sachs, and you started Skybridge, a successful hedge fund. 
Uh, you run the SALT conference now. You've done a lot of things, and you were politically involved, as you pointed out before, going into the Trump administration. But to a lot of people, you're known as the 10-day guy. I mean, so you have all these accomplishments. And to well, a let's lot say of 11, though. Why, why 11, is everybody yeah. I mean, We're having a good time. We're all having a good time. Why would you say 10 when you know, <laughs> we're having such a I'm good so time? sorry for selling you short. That's on my yeah. Yeah, oh, our intern research analyst here. Yeah. But um, how do you does that bother you at all that you have all these accomplishments? But most people, I mean, it's still you were director of communications. Let me let me ask you something, okay? Because you seem yeah. like a pretty smart kid, okay? And you got I, pretty I, good instincts. Three more, but yes. You, yeah. You think it bothers me? Honestly, a, ask yourself that. I I think you thrive in the spotlight, so I think you like. The whole, I think you like the mooch mystique, if I had to guess, but my guess is it doesn't bother you. You're a tough Long Islander who's gone through a lot. You grew up, as you said, in a largely blue collar, uh, working class family. So I don't think it bothers you at a deep level. I'm just curious if you like, if, if you know, I mean, if, if you go day in, day out, running Skybridge, making big deals, running uh, over $10 billion, and then, you know, I mean, people love you in our generation. So I don't know. I mean, does it? No, I mean, here's I'm, I'm I'll be as honest with you as I am with myself. When I got fired, that process was humiliated. You're getting lit up. You're getting lit up by the late night comedy. And then, of course, I went on Colbert. You know, yeah, 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 great. I mean, he's like, did you think you were going to last a long time? I'm like, I thought it was going to last longer than a carton of milk in the refrigerator. <laughs> but my point is, when it first happened. It was humiliating. It was very, very rough. But this is a lesson for younger people. You have to be accountable for your mistakes. I made a mistake that got me fired. I got me fired very abruptly. And I own the mistake. I never blamed it on anybody else. Uh, I have now subsequently built a phenomenal relationship with General Kelly, who fired me. He's a Gold Star family member. He's a four-star general. I knew he did a salt conference. He came to the salt conference in Las Vegas. He came to the salt conference in Abu Dhabi. I don't hold grudges. Yeah. And uh, we have a beautiful relationship. Uh, We're both patriots. He has obviously served the country. uh, And I I only served it for 11 days, but he served it for 40 years. Yeah. And, And what I would say to you about the situation is I am better for it. And I think it's also a cautionary tale about your ego. You know, I was intoxicated about the idea of working there. And I also knew that Mr. Trump wanted Steve Bannon and Reince Priebus out of the administration who were blocking me from coming into the administration. So I got my ego activated. That was another big mistake. So cautionary tale for you people, younger people, keep your ego in check. Don't make any decisions related to your ego because your emotions are going to go up and your intelligence is going to go down and you're going to make stupid decisions. I do consider the expulsion of Steve Bannon, okay, as Jared Kushner said to me, I get seven-tenths of a call of duty kill for Steve Bannon. As my suicide vest was going off, I was reaching for the son of a bitch and I blew him into Pennsylvania Avenue with me. So I do consider that to be one of my singular greatest accomplishments yeah. And although it's only a small footnote in American history, uh, those two imbeciles, Bannon and Trump working together right now, you would be in a neo-fascist nightmare in the country. So uh, you guys don't realize it, but that's my singular greatest accomplishment. Forget about Skybridge, Harvard Law School and all that other stuff. So 
you know, sometimes you, you know, you're, you're here on the planet for different reasons. Getting Steve Bannon, I told everybody, look, this guy's a horrific guy. When he got arrested last week, I'm on TV. The woman's asked me, what do, you, do I look like a Buddhist? I mean, I couldn't be fucking happier that the guy got arrested. He's a low life, you know? I'm not, I'm not a Buddhist where you're like, I want to run the guy over with a truck. He's a very, very bad guy. Okay? He still holds you say about Italian Buddhism. You hate indelibly, okay? You hate indelibly. It's not like you're going to like meditate and all of a sudden the hate's going to go away. I mean, right. come on. Right. It, it was painful in the beginning. Could care less about it today. And however people want to remember me, who gives a shit? Because you know what? No yeah. one's going to remember us. You know, you know, you think 10,000 years from now, anybody's going to remember us? Forget it. There's only going to be one person people remember from our era. That's Neil Armstrong. He landed his ass on the moon, put put foot on a moon. 10,000 years from now, people will know who he is, assuming that civilization makes it. That's interesting. Yeah, going to remember Donald Trump or anything. No, no one's going to be remembered. So before we get in again to the, the, your top five list here, one question for you. You know, so you came from a blue-collar background. You went to Tufts. Harvard Law School, wildly successful career after that. You know, what were you like? What were you like during college? You know, I know that's not a political question here, but just curious to hear, you know, were you always? Yeah, I, were think you always important, I think it's important to understand what I was like in high school, though. OK, I was a classic Long Island Guido. Okay? I was driving <laughs> around in a 1979 Berlinetta Camaro. I had gold chains. I had, wow. the, I had the red, you know, pepper, which is to keep the Malachia away on the on the, on the rear view mirror. And I was uh, an imbecile. I was working at my uncle's motorcycle shop. And I had, you know, I had high test scores, but I was not trying super hard. Uh -huh. So it's important to understand that. And so now I get into Tufts. My father hands me a $10,000 check in April of 1982. What is this, Dad? Okay, well, this was my life insurance. It's the cash value of my life insurance with the union. Okay, you extinguished your life insurance? I, I did because I don't really have any money to pay for your tuition. So this is going to help you. At that time, Tufts was $26,000 a year. So I had some savings because I was always hustling, always making money. And I took the 10 grand and you know, I went to work. I was delivering pizza when I was at Tufts. And that moment was a big epiphany for me. Okay. And so I said, okay, this is super important to my parents that I don't blow college. So I know you guys are thinking this is crazy, but my orientation week at Tufts, I was partying like a rock star. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I was out every night. This I remember pre-COVID, right? I was hanging out around yeah. flats. Yeah. And then the day classes started, I was in the library studying. And people were like, what are you like, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde? I mean, what the hell was going? we thought you were like a lunatic partier. And now yeah. all of a sudden you're in the you're in the books, you're reading all the books. I said, Well, yeah, I mean, I, I I owe it to my parents. Okay, I'm not going to blow this. Okay, so uh, you know, four years later I graduated, you know, summa cum laude from Tufts and got into Harvard Law School. My mother thought it was Hartford Law School. She's got <laughs> mapped out Labor Day, she's like heading to Connecticut. I'm like, <laughs> why are we going to Hartford, Bob? Going to Hartford Law School? I said, Oh my I'm going, I'm going to Harvard Law School. Well, why would they name it Hartford Law School if it's in Boston? <laughs> it's not named Hartford Law School. It's Harvard Law School. Okay, so that's standing These people didn't know any better because they weren't educated, you know, and they were, you know, a loving family. I mean, they were, they were good people, but they didn't know any better. So now 
I'm up at Harvard Law School. I'm interviewing for jobs in my polyester Guido suit. It was not a great look to try to get into Goldman. One of the partners, it was like, you're a smart kid, but you were the worst dressed person we've met at the Harvard Law School. <laughs> and so I had, to, I had to go get a like natural fiber suit. I didn't know any better. Oh, my goodness. That's enough. Know, that, that's life, man. And, and so, you know, here's the other thing. You cannot do what I've done in my life without taking risks. So if you get bounced once or twice or fired here or there, who cares? Yeah. You know, you're not going to get to where you want to go to unless you're throwing the ball. Well, look, you know? we got to let's go into the top five list uh, okay. for what you would. I mean, you've been speaking to our generation a lot during this interview, which is our goal for this company and this podcast is to kind of have this engagement for, you know, young people with people like yourself who've done so much, who've accomplished a lot, who we see on TV. So could you give us now the five mooch keys to success? Yeah. Well, listen, I mean, you know, maybe not necessarily in this order. Yeah. But the number one thing is you have to do something you love. Yeah. And so you can't listen to your parents. And if your parents are listening, they're probably mad at me. And right. You, can't, you right. can't listen to your buddies and you can't do the cool job, whatever you think the cool job is, if it doesn't fit your personality. Okay. So that's the number one thing. You got to do something you love. I have a 27-year-old uh, son. He just graduated from Stanford Business School. He's starting a telemedicine company. That's what he loves. I have a 20-year-old son who dropped out of college, and he's now the videographer for Machine Gun Kelly and Travis Barker. And oh uh, he's got some of the most viewed videos in the world with these wow. two guys. And uh, he's always wanted to be in videography and directing. You know, and Steven Spielberg's father just died at 103. I sent the obituary to my son. The father said, I wanted my son, Steven, to get into engineering, but the guy loved film. So I said, okay, go, go into the film business. My point is my kid is doing something he loves and hopefully he'll be successful at it. But you're not going to be successful if you're doing something that you moderately like. You got to do something you love. That's number one. Number two, you got to not give a shit. Okay. Because if you give a shit, then you're not going to take the risks that you need to take to be successful. And just remember, Mel Brooks, the comedian, he's now 95 years old. He had one of the greatest lines ever. I live by it every day. You want to hear the line? Let, yeah. yeah, let's go. Relax. None <laughs> of us are getting out of here alive. Okay? Just relax. You're going to be dead before you know it. So throw the fucking ball. I mean, you got to take risks. Okay? Yeah. That's number two. Number three, prepare for failure. Prepare for failure. You've probably been helicopter parented by your parents, and you know you probably got the achievement medal for ninth place in soccer. <laughs> you think your shit doesn't stink until you meet the outside world. But prepare for failure because if you're taking risks, you're gonna fail, and you want to fail in a glorious, classy sort of way. Okay. Now the last two are super important. This is will ultimately make or break you. Okay, four and five. Okay, know what you're good at and stay in that lane. Okay, so if you're good at numbers, stay in the numbers lane. If you're good with people, stay in the people's lane. Okay, you know, you don't have to do everything. That's the ego thing, number four. Control your ego. To prove to everybody you're great at everything, stay in your lane. And the fifth thing is you got to trust and love people. Because if you trust and love people, you can allocate resources to them, delegate to them. And if you're running the business and you trust and love people, 
even if those people make mistakes, you can be very forgiving and you can grow your business. You cannot scale by yourself. That's the beauty of a country. That's the beauty of a business. That's the beauty of your own personal achievements. Everything that I've done in my life has been a combination of working with others, learning from others, experiencing the help of others. And so the fifth thing is the most important as well. You got to you got to love people and you got to be willing to trust them and you got to be willing to see the good side in them. Well, Anthony, thank you so much. I mean, it's it's great to hear that advice from someone like yourself and uh we we really appreciate you coming on today and, and sharing this advice, giving your thoughts on the election, on Trump, on the future of the GOP. And uh, well, and, 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 you know, as we start our own company here, this is just terrific advice yeah. for us and everyone who's listening to the show. I'm sure we'll you want, want, yeah. you want more advice. Yeah. Shave your fucking beard. You look like you're going to put on a no fly. All right, take the beard off. Okay? My like, mom is gonna is gonna murder me after hearing that. Oh like some serious grunge going there. Go in there, buy yourself a thirteen cent razor, and take the beard off. Okay? This will be like yeah, good fellas. No, let's bring the camera and we'll go do it on on live. We'll yeah, live stream. Yeah, take, take, that, take that beard off, okay? You don't need that beard. Look yeah, how red he's going. Look how red he's going. You're like you're like red like a cherry on the podcast. Look how red he's going. Shave the beard. Oh my god. Shave the oh beard. The older people like me are looking at you like saying, I'm not giving this guy my money. He looks like he's on the no This is at like any moment, at any moment TSA is coming to pull him off the line. <laughs> this is like you going to Goldman Sachs with that suit. He's gonna show up looking like this. Yeah, it worked out well for you, Anthony. Yeah. <laughs> but I didn't know better. You know better. Yeah, now I you know better. I I remember calling my mother. I'm like, they told me that I look like shit. My, she's like, what are you talking about? They don't know what they're talking about. That was your best clothing. It was like 100% polyester. I was going fully flammable to the first interview. Yeah, I didn't know yeah, well, when you go to Hartford Law School, that's what happens. Hey, it would have been fine if I went to Hartford Law School. The point was she had no clue, you know? Yeah. All right, you guys, uh, be, you guys be well. And yeah. uh, let's let's stay in touch. And uh, and I appreciate being on. Thank you. Thank hey, you thank so you, much, Anthony. Anthony. All right, be good, guys. Thank you all for tuning in to another episode of Top 5 with Max and Max. We hope that you enjoyed. If you did, leave us a review, follow us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and see a very special outro in which we put Anthony's advice to the test. Check out RokaNews.com or find us on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, at Ride the News. So come find us on there. We've got a terrific video, and we're sure that you'll love it. So check it out, and we look forward to being back with you next week for another episode of Top 5 with Max and Max.